This is Josh Allen, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and joining me today, a great friend of the podcast, great friend of the radio show, great friend of Roster Watch. He actually contributed for a while at Roster Watch before he's moved on to be such a big star with CBS Sports. His name is Chris Trapasso. You can find him on Twitter at Tr- Chris Trapasso, uh, draft analyst for, as I mentioned, for CBS Sports and host of the podcast, The Prospect, Trapasso. What the hell's going on, brother? It's great to be back on this. And yeah, I remember you giving me one of my like first paying jobs writing about fantasy, like 2014 <laughs> draft season. Because I remember it's that big wide receiver class with Sammy Watkins and Odell Beckham and Mike yeah. Evans. So it's great to be back on this podcast. And whenever I see... You guys talking on my Twitter timeline. I always jump in and just see what you guys have to say. So I, it's an honor to be back on this show. Well, this is, well, the respect goes goes both ways, brother. And you've obviously gone on to do big things. And turn on, turn on uh, these digital streams that uh, are happening during draft season. And Chris Trapasso is all over. I'm giving his takes on these various prospects. So I want to hear from you about your thoughts of some of these guys. We've started to put together the um, I guess we're up to version 1.1 of our dynasty draft cheat sheet with these rookies. And I want to talk to you about some of them, but you know these people might not know that you're just an epic Buffalo Bills homer. So I, 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 I got to get the Bills. <laughs> I got to get the Bills intel for the for the for the people. Just uh, b- before I ask you about some specific players, just your general thoughts on the Bills draft um, this year. Did they address the needs like you thought they were going to? How did it go as compared to? I mean, Gregory Rousseau was that something that you saw coming? Boogie Basham was one of my favorites from the. Uh, one of one of, one of my favorites from the process that we got to see a good bit live. How did you see this thing? Pl- uh, how did you think it was going to play out versus how it did play out? Well, despite being a, a huge Bills homer, like you said, I didn't really like this Bills draft. I thought the last couple of years with their new GM Brandon Bean, those classes were a lot more impressive based on where I had a lot of these players graded. I thought Rousseau. Over the long term, makes sense. They have older edge rushers and Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. Uh, but I think Rousseau is super raw. I mean, he only played 14 games at Miami, super productive in those games. But I think a lot of those 15 and a half sacks were coverage sacks, were schemed up with stunts and twists. But I do agree with you on Boogie Basham. He, to me, was one of the more high floor edge rushers in this draft class. So we saw him for three years in the ACC produce at a high level. I think he's got the body type uh, and the pass rushing moves to play inside and outside. And the Bills like to do that. Uh, And for more of a fantasy spin on this, I love the pick Marquez Stevenson uh, from Houston. I think even in this loaded Bills receiver group, uh, that is a little bit older. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders, they signed to replace John Brown. He's 34. Cole Beasley <laughs> got hurt in the playoffs last year. Uh, he's into his 30s. Marquez Stevenson, to me, was the most dynamic 
small speedster uh, that could be that niche player. Get him on jet sweeps, throw him the deep ball. Bills get him in the sixth round. Don't be surprised if later in the season, if there are some injuries or maybe even into the future, 2022, that Stevenson is catching some long touchdowns from Josh Allen. Man, he has to, he had he had a lot of he had a lot of flashes, and he's got a lot of potential. He needs to he needs to get his head on straight, and he needs to live, finally live up to his potential. That was certainly what some of the people down at the University of Houston said. Is they sometimes he could leave you feeling like God damn, Mar- Marquez, like just you, yeah. you 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 could do so much if, if you could put it all together. So yeah, he'll he'll be one to watch for sure. Um, what about I wanted to ask you? I mean. Did you think that they were going to do anything more? Um, it looks like they took a cornerback. They took a cornerback in round six. They took a, they take one corner in round six. Yeah, one yep, corner in round six. Yeah, it's, got, it's got wild goose. Um, whenever I was going through and doing our matchup ratings, I was sort of looking. I didn't realize. I thought that Levi Wallace was kind of kind of okay or maybe a guy who doesn't necessarily look good just because you know trey white just shuts down one side of the football field but i started looking into him man this guy runs a runs a four six three he's gonna be he's i mean is that true like um how do you see this how do you see this stuff going opposite tredavious white is it going to be levi wallace and is that going to leave a hole that the other teams are going to pick on yeah it's going to be levi wallace uh brandon Bean, their gm kind of said after the draft that he has a lot of faith in this former Alabama cornerback, he went undrafted. He's definitely play, like outplayed being an undrafted free agent, but there are definitely some limitations to his game. He's been benched at times in his first couple of years in Buffalo, but other times he's looked like a above average number two cornerback. Right. I, I was surprised that the Bills round two, round three, round four didn't address the cornerback spot opposite Tredavious Way. That here in Western New York was like the the low hanging fruit that they were going to probably address edge relatively early because of the age of those starters, but they really needed a, a talented corner and they decided to say, Hey, let's just try to improve our pass rush to help out our secondary. So I, I do think when teams are facing the bills, they're probably going to stay away from Tredavious white side of the field and look to target Levi Wallace. He's not a bad corner, but there's definitely a big step down from Tredavious white to Levi Wallace on the other side. And, and just, and, and just, if, if I'm just kind of looking here, I'm just trying to extract as much info from you as I can, just as I'm looking at this spreadsheet, it, do you project uh, Teron Johnson at the, at, at the nickel? Is that how you have it? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. He, he had kind of a, a rough season early on last year, but obviously in the playoffs uh, had that big interception of Lamar Jackson to send the bills to the AFC title game, had a pick six against Ben Roethlisberger on Sunday night football. I think when he's healthy, he is one of the, better, more underrated slot corners in the league, but definitely the secondary. If you needed to pull out um, a weakness of this Bills team, there's not a lot of weaknesses roster-wise, would probably be the secondary. What's good for the Bills in that secondary that's relatively weak, they still have Tredavious White, Jordan Poyer, and Micah Hyde. And that trio, those two safeties in the corner, are still really good. And and we've seen just how much these teams, you know, we've heard the – We've heard Denver now talking about it when they sort of had a strength on strength with Patrick Sertan. And you hear what they're saying about how, look, we can go to we can go to six, six DBs. We have three safeties we would like to get on the field. We have three corners we'd like to get on the field. You know, mm-hmm. the, all those all those guys can, you know, especially with the way that the Bills have played such a defensive matchup football in these in these past couple of years as they've ascended in the AFC East. Um what do you think, man? Uh, what about what about Zach Moss and Devin Singletary? I mean, do you, are you buying stock in either of these guys? Because it feels like you know, boy, both ex third round picks, and just from a fantasy perspective, 
hard to depend on either one of them because their roles are specialized. Um, you get Devin Singletary, it seems like, between the 20. Sometimes Zach Moss will come in in short yarder situations, but then he's always getting swindled by Josh Allen, who's such a good runner down there at the goal line. Yep. Uh, do, do you think ever – but I do think that we could find value in one of these players. It, I, 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 I know we could. If it's the starting running back on a team that scores a lot of points, it's a high fl- – I mean, how much do you love to hear that it's a, that it's like a prolific high-flying offense? <laughs> it's just like that must be, <laughs> must be sick to hear after all these years of pain. But it's, but it's like if, if you can have a, a running back that's tethered to that, I mean, he should be – he should be worthy of scoring fantasy points just by the fact that he's in that offense and he should get the opportunities here and there. But boy, it seems like these guys split so so much. I don't have the exact snap counts pulled up, but it's bad. Um, could could they ever just go to outside of an injury? Could they ever just? May, it seems to me like it might be Moss. This seems like the guy that's probably a little bit more talented or maybe fits the profile a little bit better. But I'd like to hear from you. Could that ever happen? Do you think it will ever happen? And if so, is there one of those one of those horses you'd put your money on? I don't think it'll ever happen where we see a legitimate feature back in Buffalo with this tandem, but obviously what's great for them is that they avoided the bills drafting a running back. And and that was kind of a sneaky need that a lot of oh, fans and media oh, members, yeah. I mean, they were getting mocked Travis Etienne and a bunch oh, of yeah. mocks. Yeah. And, and even if they didn't pick Etienne, you know, to throw in a, a fourth or a fifth rounder, that didn't happen. Like a lot of people thought that if they don't pick Najee Harris or Travis Etienne, and neither of those running backs were there when the bills picked at 30. So we'll never know if, if they ultimately would have picked them, there were still a lot of people that thought, including me, like they'll pick one in the fifth or sixth round just to add some competition. So that's a good sign for both of them. I, I have gotten some word that Devin Singletary has really put his uh, work in this off season. And I, th- I actually think that in terms of pure running capabilities, I think Singletary is a, actually a little more talented than Zach Moss. Zach Moss has more power, and you're absolutely right in those short yardage situations. He's the guy the Bills were going to, and they should go to, because Singletary being a- as small as he is, he's not really going to push the pile. But in terms of lateral agility, making oh, miss yeah. skill... Singletary is pretty special. And I think in the receiving game and the screen game, that's where they ultimately want to use him. So later in your draft, if you're adhering to that philosophy that you were just outlining, like, Hey, let's pick a running back on a high scoring offense. It's going to have the football a lot, uh, scoring a lot of points. I would actually go Devin Singletary. And if you want to go deep sleeper, the bills did sign Matt Burita in free agency. And that is the one area that Brandon Bean highlighted and said, we like our backs. We used back-to-back third-round picks on Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, but we know they're not breakaway guys. They're not going to hit 75-yard touchdowns. We know from his time in San Francisco, Matt Breida can be that type. And then Brandon Bean did a great job re-signing that entire offensive line. Darrell Williams was a free agent, the right tackle. Uh, John Feliciano was also a free agent. They brought both of them back. The offensive line, I they guess. They just drafted Cody Ford a couple years ago. Yeah, so mm-hmm. th- they should be a little bit better blocking up front, and we know that defenses are going to be trying to stop the pass when facing Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. So I would lean Singletary if you want to go with – someone that I think has the best chance to produce on a regular basis, although he is going to split carries with Zach Moss. Uh, but if you want to go deep sleeper, like the, one of the last rounds of your draft, think about Matt Breida. He could be low volume, but someone that if he hits some big plays early on, that the Bills lean on him to yeah, be that big play specialist. Yeah, yeah, you can see that for sure. Do, 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 you don't think the Bills will throw – you don't think they'll throw – do you think they'll throw as much this year? Do you think they'll throw as – I mean, it's, it's sure as hell fun to watch. It's fun to watch. I just wonder if they can do it again. 
I think they will throw as much. I mean, there's bound to be a little bit of a regression because Josh Allen was not only high volume, but he was so efficient. He boosted his completion percentage by like 10 points. It was like the biggest jump uh, in NFL history between two seasons for a quarterback. But their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, uh, has come out and said that they are a pass first team. And even Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, it's refreshing to hear these uh, guys high up in the front office and in the coaching staff say, that they want to pass the football. They're not trying to pound the rock. Uh, so I, I would expect Josh Allen to be in the top five to top seven in terms of completions and attempts in 2021. I just, I love how the bills are operating right now. They're, they're operating in a way that's optimal in a way that's in a, in a way that's mm-hmm. smart. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's cool. It's cool to see. Um, one one team that I'm not as bullish on, I'm very actually bearish on, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I feel like their offensive line looks like shit. I'm worried <laughs> that they uh, they should have done something to address it instead of taking Najee Harris, despite how much I like Najee Harris. What mm-hmm. did you think about the? What did you think about Najee? Did you I because shit? I haven't talked to you about your running back rankings or like was he your RB one and like what did you think about him and specifically. How do you think he'll look behind an offensive line that's not going to dominate the way that Alabama dominated there in Pittsburgh? How does his skill set, as you've evaluated him by his traits and attributes, how does that fit with an offensive line that might not be uh, – might be one of the – probably the bottom – I haven't done the offensive line rankings, but I, I'd imagine they're bottom half. They're probably bottom third. Um, yeah. What do you think? Well, first off, yes, Najee Harris was my running back number one in this draft class. I thought he had the best blend of contact balance, elusiveness, uh, and just straight up receiving ability. Like we heard so much about Travis Etienne, how good of a receiver he was in that Alabama offense, not just in 2020, but even in 2019, uh, Najee Harris was out in the slot, running slot receiver routes, tracking the football down the field. Uh, But you're right. I I would have had the Steelers, if I was running the Steelers, I would have picked an offensive lineman and then worried about the running back. Or even if I did pick Najee Harris in round one, I wouldn't have come back with Pat Fryermuth in round two. Now, I like what they did after that with Kendrick Green and Dan Moore Jr. Could, could they have had Eichenberg before the before the Dolphins? I, I, yes, I, I, should, I, I should go back I and think. look. Like this, I think some of so. that's I don't I don't see how some of these teams didn't at least if they missed offensive line in the first in the first round how they couldn't come back and get it somehow and some somehow in the second round I think that the the Bengals were another team that I thought would you know maybe do, mm-hmm. maybe do, I don't know but, but yeah anyway. back to your question I think I think Harris does have the cutting skills to make the most out of a bad situation uh, and make defenders miss bounce off weak arm tackle attempts. But you're right. I think the Steelers, even with Kendrick green and Dan Moore, who are both like mid round prospects that I liked quite a bit, they're rookies and it's going to take time for them to acclimate to the pro level, deal with the power and the fundamentally sound play that they're going to see on the interior and on the edge uh, in Pittsburgh. So I think Najee Harris will get the most out of a bottom third offensive line, but you never really want to put a, a running back behind what is a relatively porous blocking unit. And I think that's what they're going to have at least through the first half of the season as these rookies get acclimated in Pittsburgh. What, what do you think of Najee's receipt? How, how did you evaluate his receiving skills? And do you think if, if that was something you like, is that something that 
maybe if the offensive line's yeah. bad, he can be used as an extension of the run. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's why he's still very much fantasy relevant to me and because he is truly a good receiver. I think he can run legitimate routes. And at 6'1 and 230 pounds, I kind of viewed him as almost like an H-back. Like he has that body type where you could call him a tight end because he runs good routes. The hands are fantastic. There were a lot of plays at Alabama where he was tracking the football down the field, contorting his body, getting his feet in bounds. I really think he has legitimate receiver skills. And we know that with Ben Roethlisberger's arm, not really to the strength that it was uh, oh, even God. a few years ago <laughs> at all. About an the, steel, the Steelers <laughs> like getting it out quick. Mm-hmm. And Ben Roethlisberger is not going to be stretching the field very often. They'll use Deontay Johnson. They'll use Juju Smith-Schuster underneath. But I also think they're going to use the screen game and they're going to check it down to Najee Harris often. So we heard the uh, comment from his teammate Cam Hayward earlier this week that he's a type of back that you can give it to 30 or 40 times per game. I don't know if we'll see that type of 1990s-esque volume, but I think of all the running backs in the NFL, maybe throw Saquon Barkley in there, Christian McCaffrey, Zeke Elliott, Najee Harris will be getting a lot of touches, 20-plus per game, you know, 15 to 20 uh, runs and then I think they're going to get him involved in the pass game. I, he kind of reminds me of Le'Veon Bell. Like I, I think th- the type of stuff that they can do with him in this offense reminds me of what they did with a bigger, very talented receiving back in Le'Veon Bell a few years ago. All right, a couple more things on running backs, and I want to ask you about a couple of these, a couple of these wide receivers. Um, what you th- all this stuff about Travis Etienne working it out at wide receiver with the Jaguars. That to me sounds um, that to me sounds kind of kind of weird, but we had this stuff where Urban Meyer after the draft basically admitted that he wanted Kadarius Tony and that that ripped his heart out. He couldn't get Kadarius Tony, which I I was kind of like, you know, I saw Kadarius Tony at the Senior Bowl. He's he's a good player, I guess, but boy, he sure had a bunch of first round buzz through the whole thing. It turned out to be true. There were teams much higher on him than a lot of people in the draft media. And it feels like he drafted Travis Etienne to say, like, well, this guy can catch really well, and he's awesome with the ball in his hands. Maybe I can use him the same way I was planning on using Kadarius, which would be clearly, I mean, probably, I mean, good for him, I I guess. But it it doesn't seem like that would be a featured bell cow sort of role. Um, Do you think that Travis Etienne – is slated for a bell cow role in Jacksonville. And do you think that he played at the 215-ish weight that he measured in at, or do you think he might have bulked up a little bit to get up to that weight? I definitely think he bulked up a little bit. I think he was probably closer to 200 pounds. Uh, and the thing, we were just talking about it with the Steelers' offensive line. Etienne, one of the best uh, college running backs that we've seen in the last like 25 years in terms of his production from his freshman season to his senior year at Clemson. But – that Clemson offensive line was really, really good. There were a lot of gaping holes that he could have a full head of steam to run through that allowed him to, to turn it up to full speed and hit some of those longer runs. In Jacksonville, I don't think he's going to have that luxury of a really dominant blocking unit. And if you think about it in Jacksonville, that team is centered around Trevor Lawrence now. There's DJ Chark. LaVisca Chenault can already be that gadget space player for them. That's, that's where who he I thought it was. That's who I thought Me he too. That's use. where he excelled, uh, excelled in or at Colorado in that role. They already had that type. And then there's James Robinson, a thousand yard back that, yes, Urban Meyer doesn't have any connection to, but I think he will at least start the season as the true bell cow. And I think this is a Jaguars team that's still probably a year or two away from being a legitimate contender. But with Trevor Lawrence, DJ Chark, Chenault, uh, 
I, I don't see if there's an, like, I don't envision there being enough uh, f- footballs to go around for Travis Etienne to be garnering as much hype, even in the fantasy realm as he is right now, because I think Lawrence is going to make them be a little more pass happy. And even though he is a good receiver, Etienne is learning a new position. And I didn't see him as someone as naturally talented running routes as Najee Harris. So I think he'll be good. He'll hit some big plays. But this is not a team that's going to just lean on Travis Etienne. They have some other good, young, quality skill position players in Jacksonville. I've been I've been warming more and more up to Trey Sermon as I've heard what the 49ers have said about him behind the scenes, how they envision using him. I was worried a little. I kind of liked him as a liked him as a prospect. I, I liked Trey Sermon as a high school prospect. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I. And there were a lot of things about his game that I really liked a lot. I just figured, man, the production wasn't wasn't really their journeyman. It came in bursts, but boy, with the outburst at the very end, certainly sticks with you. Whenever you look at San Francisco for fantasy, at least, it's been a nightmare choosing. You know which one of these dudes <laughs> yeah. can I play? Everybody's always hurt when they're not hurt. It's a huge committee. So, with that all being said, Sermon feels like he to me. He's a decent bet to be somebody who could kind of, you know, where the cream sort of rises to the top. Maybe we get a role out of him where he could be a little bit more featured than the rest of these guys. Um, what did you think of Sermon and what do you think about the fit in San Francisco? I really liked him as a prospect. He was my number four running back in this draft class. I think he has a very deceptive blend of power and agility. I, mm-hmm. He's not going to make a lot of defenders miss, but asked about the fit the fit in san francisco in that outside zone scheme is perfect that's the type of of run play that you want to get trey sermon on let him get to the front side check there and then hit that one cut and slash and get up the field i think that's where he can be the most productive and you're right the kyle shanahan running backs it's like you always want to stay away from them because you can never lean on them for an entire season or even half the year but at the same time if you're really in need of a running back late in your fantasy draft it's probably not a bad idea to at least pick one of those 49ers running backs because you know whoever is getting the football will be productive, that that is a time-tested system that produces results for running backs. And I think, you know, Raheem Mostert, the fastest player in the NFL, he's had those next-gen stats, 23, 24 miles per hour. Jeff Wilson was very good uh, in a backup role last season. But Trey Sermon is a very talented back as well. I think uh, his contact balance is also very deceptive. So uh, with them picking them where they did, I think they do have a plan to utilize him. I don't think he's necessarily going to be buried on that depth chart for too long in San Francisco. Okay, one, and just one, one, one more. We didn't talk about Javante Williams, but I figured he's probably your number two or number three if you had Sermon as your number four. Am I right about that? Is that... You probably Who's my number three? Yeah, all right. So uh, not not him, but his teammate, Michael Carter, I saw at the Senior Bowl. Um, and, dude, he made some plays. The the I'd like to know what you thought about him, how he fits with the Jets, because he goes to a depth chart there that's pretty pretty wide open. I know they brought in Tevin Coleman. I know that they have Michael P. Ryan, who has some fans out there. But Michael Carter, to me, seems like he's probably a little bit higher pedigree and um, clearly some draft capital there with him as well he's coming in with this new offense with the new you know with the new quarterback and the new you know the helping with you know they bring in elijah vera tucker that does you know really that's like that offensive line starting to look good it's starting to look like a little bit of a new look offense right michael carter Mm -hmm. seems like he's sort of the running back that that's that's sort of coming along with this whole new crew of kids 
But at the Senior Bowl, he couldn't play. He couldn't pass protect to save his life. It's one of the worst I'd seen since since Kenyon Drake. Did you notice that on his film? It, was that something that you might have noticed? And uh, what do you, what was your general take on Michael Carter? Do you think he can stand up at the NFL level? Yeah, it's funny that you bring up his pass protection because I was going to say that that we always hear that head coaches say, "Hey, I don't care where we pick you as a running back. If you can't pass protect, it's going to be hard for us to put you on the field." early in your careers. It just because the league is so pass happy now that if you're on the field, you can't telegraph that it's going to be a run play. And, and a lot of times you will be on the field uh, and you need to pick up a blitzing linebacker through the a gap. And I don't think Michael Carter is that uh, fundamentally sound and he's just not that big. It reminds me so much of Gio Bernard when he was coming out of North Carolina yep. in 2013. Uh, very elusive after the catch in the screen game, his short area quickness is burst. Uh, two years, uh, averaging over seven yards per carry at North Carolina. And that was another group. The offensive line was very good. The run scheme was very complex. A lot of pulling blockers that kind of paved the way for those backs. But I think Michael Carter, a lot of what you pointed out, because the depth chart in that running back room is not very alluring. And I don't think Mike, uh, well, Michael Piron averaging 3.6 yards per carry is necessarily helping him into year two in terms of securing that starting job. So he would be someone in, in Michael Carter that later in a draft uh, that you could probably sneak onto your team, especially with most leagues being PPR today that I think Michael Carter with a rookie quarterback, that's going to want to check it down and is going to be hurried to, to get the football out of his hands. I think Michael Carter will be maybe not someone that will be, of course, as efficient on the ground as he was at North Carolina, but will definitely be useful and get the most out of those checkdowns because he is so dynamic after the catch. I, I think you probably, he's, he's a guy you'll probably want to maybe stick to PPR leagues in the same way you yep. would handle, like you said, guys like Geo, the, we James said it, the senior too. boy kind of reminds you. Yeah, big said James White can pass protect like a like a damn dog. He was he, he's like he he's he's one of the best that we've seen down there at the senior bowl. But maybe mm-hmm. like a DeAndre Washington, one of one of these types, you know. But maybe in a better situation than than those guys found themselves in the NFL. All right, before we get off running backs, we'll go through some wide receivers quickly. But uh, is there anybody that you like? Any running back that you like? Anyone that you hated? Any landing spot you loved? Anybody? Any sleeper? Any kind of extra running back takes before we move on? Like did, uh, like, the, did, like, did, like, did you think anything about Gainwell or maybe Kylan Hill or Jamar Jefferson or what? Like, people are interested in JV and Hawkins because he's going to a wide open depth chart with the Falcons. Like, you have, do you have takes on any, any of these? And uh, do you know what? I mean, so hear what you think about Ramondre Stevenson, too, because I thought he looked like a slug at the senior bowl, uh, but people are in on him. He was a, he was drafted much earlier than I ever imagined. Just any takes on it on, on, on any of those guys. <laughs> Ramondre Stevenson, I'm with you. I, I don't know how he got picked so early. Uh, he's just kind of your big boulder of a running back, not very fast. And in New England, that's almost worse, I think, than drafting a San Francisco running back because at least in San Francisco, they're productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill Belichick <laughs> cycles through running backs all the time. They haven't, especially over the last couple of years, unless you're James White um, or you're Deion Lewis, you're not really that productive in the ground game. So Stevenson, I don't think has much fantasy relevance right now. JV and Hawkins, I'm glad you brought him up. That is a wide open backfield. I know Mike Davis is there. He was fantastic as Christian McCaffrey's uh, fill in last season. Uh, and then there's Quadri Olison, who's actually from Buffalo. Um, oh. And <laughs> JV and Hawkins brings that speed element that they do not have in that running back room. There was apparently some off the field maturity issues with JV and Hawkins. That's why he went undrafted. I thought he was like a fifth or a sixth round pick just because of his 
acceleration through the second level and down the field. And that offense is going to be spread wide open with Kyle Pitts, Julio Jones, and Kelvin Ridley. They're going to want to throw the football a lot. Obviously, Mike Davis is bound to be the feature back. Uh, but Javian Hawkins, I think, will be that change of pace uh, jet sweep type that could be very low volume, but it's probably worth at least keeping an eye on on your waiver wire because he does have something that none of the other running backs in Atlanta have, and that's a lot of speed. Speaking of change of pace jet sweep types, if you're going to be talking about those kinds of weapons on the perimeter, uh, do you prefer Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore? Which one of the Moores do you prefer? Which one did you like better coming in? And now that we have Elijah Moore with the Jets and Rondale Moore with Arizona, uh, who do you see having more fantasy value? I had Rondell Moore graded just ahead of Elijah Moore. Uh, I thought they were both first-round talents, honestly. And I know with Rondell Moore, like the injuries played into it. I don't really factor in injuries into my grading because uh, I don't I don't have access to the medical history, I'm, and I'm not going to predict an, an injury in the future. Um, I actually think Elijah Moore might have a tick more fantasy value to start. It, it is kind of a, a suddenly a crowded receiver room in New York there with the Jets, but Jamison Crowder sitting in front of him as the primary slot receiver. The Jets cut him. I was going to say, if the Jets cut him, uh, they save $10 million. And they use the 34th overall pick on him. So I I could see him ultimately, especially if he looks like he's ready to go. And I think he is. He was very productive at Ole Miss, improved his statistics in all three seasons there. uh, That the Jets say, hey, we just drafted this guy, Jamison Crowder. We like him. He's reliable. But he has no ties to this head coaching staff or even GM Joe Douglas. And just pairing him with Zach Wilson with back-to-back with first and a second-round pick, I could see Elijah Moore having more of a steady role. When I think when you look at um, Rondale Moore, there's still DeAndre Hopkins. There's still Larry Fitzgerald. There's Christian Kirk. There's Andy Isabella. Uh, I think he'll be good. And I hope that Cliff Kingsbury has understood how to use uh, someone like Rondale Moore because Andy Isabella has kind of been wasted early in his career, I think. Um, but I think Elijah Moore will just be more of a steady producer and a bigger part of the game plan with Zach Wilson than Rondale Moore will be with Kyler Murray. Well, I guess we'll see how much Joe Douglas leans on his, I guess, his right-hand man, our friend, um, Phil Savage, that used to run the Senior Bowl because we know that from from – from Jamison Crowder's year at the Senior Bowl, Phil Savage yep. loved him. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see how much in in uh, in Joe Douglas's year he is. But it doesn't make sense to me to to, to keep Jamison Crowder if you have Elijah Moore. Um, what? So I mean, everybody everybody loves Jamar Chase. Everybody loves Devontae Smith. Everybody loves Jalen Waddle. Do you love those guys? Is there anything about yeah. any of those? Like so. You just love them. They're good players. Just- yeah. The only thing I'll say is, and this is the one negative I'll say about really any of them. Jamar Chase was my number two receiver. I thought he was an elite prospect. I think the Bengals made the right decision to pick him to pair with Joe Burrow at number five overall. I'm only a little bit concerned about his releases off the line of scrimmage that in the sec, he leaned on almost like a bench press to beat uh, even the really physical cornerbacks, even those Alabama guys like Trevon Diggs, Patrick Sertan, and he was successful doing that in the SEC. I don't know if he can necessarily do that at the NFL level. He's not necessarily going to be able to get into the chest plate of NFL corners and then be able to release and continue on with his route without disrupting the timing. So that's the one concern about any of those three wide receivers. I think they all 
will hit the ground running. But if Jamar Chase takes a little bit of time to acclimate, it's probably because he's not winning at a consistent basis off the line like he did it uh, at LSU. Do you, do you think it, do you think he takes over immediate wide receiver one duties there for that team? Or do you think the T Higgins will still be the alpha? No, I still think uh, right away they're going to force feed him targets, especially when so, they picked too. him. I think so. And he, he reminds me of like AJ Brown 2.0. I think Brown's maybe a little stronger, uh, but they're both outstanding after the catch, good in contested catch situations. I think Higgins still has fantasy relevance because Joe Burrow before that injury was averaging over 40 attempts per game. So they, oh, they want to throw it. I mean, Zach Taylor being a Sean McVay disciple and that 11 personnel, how, how much they lean on that three wide receiver set. Now they have a good three wide receiver set in Cincinnati. I still think T Higgins, uh, you know, he doesn't fall off the radar of fantasy, but Jamar chase, will be the wide receiver one from week one in Cincinnati. Speaking of that, the wide receiver ones from week one, am, am, am I crazy to keep saying that I'm on Ross St. Brown is the best wide receiver for the Detroit Lions the minute he walks in the door? I mean, what do you think? No. What, did you, what did you think about him? And what do you think about the fit there with Jared Goff and the new look Lions? If Tyrell Williams was like three or four years younger, I would say it's probably him. But no, I, I to say that Amon Ross St. Brown is the most capable wide receiver on the Lions right now, I don't think that's crazy. He ran the full route tree at USC. Uh, there were some bad drops on film, but then there were some also some amazing extended uh, arm catches or uh, hand catches, I should say, with the Trojans. I think he's a very polished route runner. Reminds me a lot of Robert Woods. And we know that Jared Goff had a great connection with Robert Woods there uh, with the Rams. So I think Amon Ross St. Brown, in terms of value, even if the Lions aren't very good and even if the pass offense is a little bit anemic, uh, I still think Amon Ross St. Brown is in line for a lot of targets. And because he can separate, and that is the ultimate qualifier when you're a young wide receiver, he can get open. And Jared Goff is good finding open receivers. He might not be the best at throwing with anticipation, but I think Amonara St. Brown's route running savvy will help him be a steady contributor very early in his NFL career. All right, Chris, just a couple more for you, for, for you, brother. And I didn't, so, so the listeners know I didn't, I didn't send Chris a show sheet or anything with these questions. So he's answering all this stuff completely off the cuff. just a complete, complete epic pro here. Um, but this <laughs> is, a, that, but? this is, this is going to be a tough one though. Uh, out of these three wide receivers, which one is going to have the biggest year one impact for his uh, team that drafted him? Nico Collins, who's take, who's going to the Houston Texans where we don't know what's happening with the quarterback situation but he does sort of fit a mold as sort of the bigger contested catch guy that maybe could slide into a starting spot opposite uh opposite Brandon Cooks Des Fitzpatrick uh, going to the Tennessee Titans where it's a it's a similarly beleaguered uh wide receiver group now that Corey Davis has left and Josh Palmer going to the Chargers out of Tennessee, a player who I really liked at the senior bowl uh, saw some really good things there um maybe a guy who they could groom to eventually take over for a Mike Williams type. Clearly they had relied on number three wide receivers last year, like Jalen Guyton and some of these other dirt balls. It feels like Josh Palmer could walk immediately <laughs> into a, immediately into a number three role, if anything else. So who, who do you got between those three biggest year one impact, Nico Collins, Des Fitzpatrick or Josh Palmer? That's a really tough question because I loved Josh Palmer. I had a second round grade on him and just playing with Justin Herbert is a huge luxury for any young wide receiver, but I'm actually going to go Des Fitzpatrick because the Titans not only lost um, 
Corey Davis. They also lost John New Smith and Adam Humphrey. So there's a lot of targets to be had in that Tennessee wide receiver group. And Des Fitzpatrick, four year study production at Louisville, uh, one of the bigger wide receivers in this class, 6'2, 200 plus pounds, ran sub four five at the Louisville Pro Day. And I saw very sharp route running skills on film. So opposite AJ Brown. They brought in Josh Reynolds, but I think they're still looking for a, a number three target. And for as, as much as they do still want to run the football with Derrick Henry, back-to-back years leading the league in attempts. So I think at some point they have to transition to a more pass-happy offense. Uh, and I could see Des Fitzpatrick, just because his floor is high and he had a lot of experience coming in right away and having the biggest first-year impact of those three receivers. Any of the... It's just same kind of question with the same kind of question with the uh, wide receivers as we had with the running backs earlier when we were talking about like just give me a take on one of these guys we haven't talked about guy you like guy you hate situation that you might uh, <laughs> that you might be into before I let you get out of here and go take care of your daughters. <laughs> Uh, like anyone in particular, like, do you have anyone? Do you have like, yeah, it's just like, there's some guys that I find interesting that maybe a little bit farther down that a little bit farther down. Maybe, um, I thought Anthony Schwartz was interesting. Diami Brown was a guy who a lot of people like Seth Williams going to Denver was interesting. Tutu Atwell, uh, Des Fitzpatrick's, um, teammate from Louisville. He got drafted much earlier than I ever thought. You know, Tylen Wallace went a lot later than I thought. Um, Shai Smith went later than I thought to a really good situation. I know you mentioned Marquez Stevenson earlier as a guy mm-hmm. who you um, who you really liked. Are there any of these guys who were maybe a little, a, a little bit farther down? Uh, Sim, Simi Fihoko was a size speed guy to the Cowboys. Um, any of these guys that you have takes on that you like the situations, you don't like the situations, or you were higher or yes. lower on them? One one pops into my head, and, and anyone following me knows who I'm about to say. It's Daz Newsome okay. from North Carolina, who went He's to the Chicago the Bears. Bears. Yeah, in the sixth round. Uh, when I was watching Diami Brown, I just kept seeing Daz Newsome make plays from in the slot. And what I love about him, and you could say the same with uh, Jalen Waddell in this draft class, Marquez Stevenson. I love that Daz Newsome was a fantastic return man at North Carolina. I think that immediately translates to what you do after the catch as a wide receiver. And we know there's Allen Robinson. Darnell Mooney had a great rookie season out of Tulane last year, but I still think they're looking for as many weapons as they can for Justin Fields. And Daz Newsom didn't have as good of a 2020 as he did in 2019, but he went over a thousand yards in 2019. I think his route running ability is very good. He's a slot only, which is totally fine in today's NFL. I think he can get open and he can be dynamic after the catch. I think he turns into a running back. He's not easily brought to the turf either. Uh, He's probably sank to the sixth round because his pro day wasn't very good, but he is one of the few prospects in this class where I almost threw the pro day out because he looked a lot faster and more sudden uh, and springier down the field than he showed at that UNC pro day. And with the elevation of that passing game that, that we're going to see from going from Mitchell Trubisky to Justin Fields, I think Daz Newsom has some late round fantasy value because I, I just think he's going to be a really good player in the NFL that is being overlooked right now. Okay, and just and just one 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 final football thing, one off the wall question for you, Chris, and I'll get you out of here. If 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 I take Kyle Pitts and I take Pat Fryermuth off the table, when you look at the rest of these tight ends, none of them are usually that fantasy viable in their first year or two. But if you look down the road, 
which one of these guys did did you like? Did you think that the situation was good? I mean, I can read you off some names. Um, oh, I got two. I got two. Okay. All right. I'll go with two. Uh, Noah Gray, who went to the Chiefs out of Duke. I know, obviously, he's playing behind Travis Kelsey. But if there is an injury to Travis Kelsey, or if now that he is older than 30, uh, and, of course, he's super productive, he's still an elite tight end, if the Chiefs want to start to utilize more two tight end sets and kind of uh, have Travis Kelsey be the mentor for a young tight end, that's Noah Gray. And he had a very good pro day uh, at that Duke workout. And I saw someone underneath and probably out to about 10 yards show that he could get open. His short area quickness is actually really good. And to me, George Kittle is the best yards after the catch tight end in the league, but Travis Kelsey is the best route running tight end in the league. So for Noah Gray to be able to learn, even in one training camp, some route running nuances from Travis Kelsey, I think uh, he's someone to just keep an eye on. You don't necessarily need to draft him, but mm-hmm. keep an eye on Noah Gray. He's or, in that situation. Or deep, but we're in deep dynasty leagues that tight end premium where sure. you got to take stabs on these guys. Uh, I, yeah, I, and, I, I and think it's a great call. He's in the situation too where it's never a bad idea to draft pass catchers in that Chiefs offense, like whoever <laughs> it is. Even if you pick Cornell Powell at wide receiver, get someone that's having footballs thrown to him by Patrick Mahomes. And then I'll go with my homer pick to end Quentin Morris uh, from right. Bowling Green that the Bills picked up on the undrafted free agent market was a converted wide receiver and was this seam stretching type early in his career in the final season at Bowling Green. They transitioned him to tight end, very strong hands. There were a lot of catches on film where he was taking a hit, but still hanging on. And he has like wide receiver abilities. I think he slowed down a little bit by bulking up, um, but it's another good situation because of the offense. And really the bills ignored tight end this offseason. It's Dawson Knox uh, and then not much else at the tight end spot. So Quentin Morris, his receiving ability, you know, four years of production, catching the football compared to Dawson Knox that barely had any production in college playing there with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown. Quentin Morris is someone else on a, a good offense that you might want to keep an eye on later in drafts or just as the season progresses. Quentin Morris, uh, he he wasn't even on, on my list of suggestions. I, I, I'm not sure I even knew who, who 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 that was, but that's why we have him on. He is Chris Trapasso again. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Trapasso. You can listen to the Prospects Podcast wherever you listen to this podcast. Just go in there, uh, search for the Prospect Prod Podcast, and give that a um, a subscription, if you will, please. He is our he's our great friend, and you can find his content over at CBS Sports. Of course, he lives in Western New York, as you mentioned earlier. So my final question, a fight that my wife and I were having just a few nights ago. We're big, big chicken wing eaters in the Ooh. in the Dunlap family. Awesome. Um, Buffalo wings, I guess, if you would call them yeah. that. We uh, we certainly don't live in Buffalo, but use the Buffalo wing sauce and stuff. At Whole Foods, where I buy them the other day, they only had drumsticks. And I was so tilted because I came <laughs> home and I said, this is this 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 sucks. I don't want to eat just drumsticks. I want drumsticks and flappers. Well, I, so I was having a fight with my wife about this. I said, this is, I said, this is crap. She says, no, it's fine. We just eat them like this. I said, well, here's the thing. You should have both. But if I can't have both, I, I told her what I would choose. What's the correct answer? It's both. You need it. If you're getting <laughs> wings or making wings, cannot be flappers only. It cannot be drumsticks. You got to have a mixture of the two. And this might sound crazy coming from Buffalo, but because there's a big like, do you dip them in ranch or in blue cheese? And up here, it's everyone loves blue cheese. I just like normal buffalo wings. I don't need to dip them in anything, but they have to have some heat. There's not heat. 
and there's not a lot of sauce and a lot of crispiness, then they're not really good wings. So make sure they're crispy, there's a good amount of sauce, and you have a nice mixture of flappers and uh, drumsticks. Credit card bill.